0: Okay, let's give this a shot. Two
1: girls for
0: every boy. I got a two thousand nine Hyundai, and they call it a Woody Surf City. Here we. Okay. <laughs> anyway, here we are. It is summertime, which means if you live in Chicago like I do, it's time to break out the parkas and. Put the heated gloves on and order up some hot chocolate. Because if we're lucky, we'll get nine days of it as opposed to the rest of the country, which gets a normal summertime. But let's celebrate those rituals the beach blankets, the umbrellas, the bathing suits, the water that hopefully passes all of the pollution tests. Anyway, it's a great time to be getting ready for sun and fun and today on the podcast we have seven that's right seven guests here to help us get the season kicked off in fine style we've got blockley cleary the president of lenders cooperative ted westell the director north america from mambo Shelly Nishbach, the Senior Vice President and Verification Leader for Equifax Workforce Solutions. Vlad Lunagoff, the CEO of MBank. Abrar Huck, the Co Founder and Chief Revenue Officer for Arteria AI. One of our two Kevins here Kevin Lutz, the Business Development Executive at True Stage Solutions. And Kevin Hurwitz, the Managing Partner at Craxent. Everybody into the view. Here we go. Okay, so as we get it rolling in our Woody or convertible or whatever summer vehicle you prefer, we're going to start out with our icebreaker getting to know our guests. little better. And that question is, what is your favorite summer song and why? And we'll go around the horn. I'm going to start with Kevin Lutz. And then after Kevin, dive in as you feel it. Kevin, you're up. Hey,
2: Lou. Thanks for having me. I am Kevin Lutz. As Lou said, I live in Columbia, Maryland, and I am with the FinTech Solutions Group at True Stage Technology Solutions. But as far as favorite summer song, I'm not sure about the entire summer, but at least the start of the summer, I really like the song School's Out for Summer by Alice Cooper. It's been around a long time. It's kind of a rebellious song, and it always reminds me of the excitement of the school year ending and the kickoff of the carefree summer months.
0: pencils no more books no more Lou the podcasters dirty looks I think that was how it went right you're right on
3: Hey, Lou, this is Shelly Nishbach, and I am Senior Vice President in Verification Services at Equifax in our Workforce Solutions Division. And I jumped in because, believe it or not, that is the same song that I had planned. So as any good uh, prep person would be, I have a backup. I thought it was pretty funny that we had a headbanger answer. Not expecting to hear that. So I'm going to go with Paradise City by Guns N' Roses.
0: Take me down to the paradise season where the grass is green and the girls are brilliant. Oh, won't you please take me home? Awesome. Yeah, I gotta imagine that Axl Rose doesn't get out in the sun nearly as much as he should, but we'll give him the thumbs up.
1: Hey Lou, it's Abra Hawk from Arteria. I am one of the co-founders and the Chief Revenue Officer. I'll be number three that had schools for summer as my initial prepared answer. But I do have a backup, just like Shelly. And one of my fun facts is that I'm Canadian, so I'll go with a Canadian artist. Brian Adams, summer of 69, reminds me of summer, being young and free, and just being out in the world. There's something carefree about the song that really says Sabo
4: to me.
0: Absolutely. And I like to think that that one line in the song was written just for me. Me and some guys from school had a band and we tried real hard. We should have known we'd never get far. (laughs) But all of you are going to get treated to my guitar solo. So, or maybe not.
5: (laughs) Hey, Lou, Lachlan Cleary. I'm president and national sales director at Ledger's Cooperative based out of Boston, Massachusetts. And my song of summer is being a Red Sox fan is Sweet Caroline. Makes me think of summer baseball and apple pie. There's nothing more American in summertime than baseball. And I actually had to do a little digging on how that song kind of came about but i guess back in 97 one of the people who was charge of music started playing it because a friend had a baby named caroline and it kind of stuck in 2002 and now in between the middle of eighth inning every game they play that song all the fans built out this song
0: you got to love the socks. I go way back with that team, but Carl Yastrzemski, a man for all seasons, but especially summer.
6: Hey Lou, this is Ted Westow with Mambu's North American commercial team, head of business development there. My summer song comes with a little story. It's about youth and freedom, but so it's June, 1991 and I'm 17 years old and school just got out. And I was floating down the Delaware River with a bunch of friends. You may have been drinking beer. Ooh, Don't tell. And it was like sort of a beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky. And my buddy has his portable CD player. And the song comes on. Never heard it before. And the chorus is big birds flying across the sky, casting shadows on our eyes. Leaves us helpless, helpless, helpless.
5: Leave us helpless, helpless, helpless.
0: that song about how much he missed ontario that's right me and the guys in the band that never got far used to cover that song so (laughs) this is
4: kevin herwitz i'm managing partner at praxent and i lead our fintech ux design and development teams the song i picked was boys of summer by don henley it's a catchy tune but i didn't really pick it for the lyrics or anything it just reminds me of the summer that my older sister got her driver's license and so it was kind of the first feeling we had of freedom because we could go places without being driven by our parents. So really, really cool memory.
0: What a great song too. I love that song. It's uh once you hear the birds, the seagulls going in the background. You are there.
7: Hello, this is Vlad Ludango from M Bank. I'm the founder and CEO of M Bank. And my song of the summer is Kelvin Harris' Summer, and I have a lot of very interesting memories associated with that song because I used to go to Kelvin Harris' performances in Las Vegas. So what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and this is why I have absolutely wonderful memories about that song.
0: We have it, our roundup of summer songs. And I got to say, school's out as a multiple pick. How much better does it get, right? And speaking of better, we're going to kick off by talking positive about the industry. Now, as we're taping this, of course, there's a lot of uncertainty in banking with some of the noteworthy failures that we've seen. There is also the question of, will we be headed into a recession? Will the interest rate hikes ever come to an end? I've got to say, being a contrarian, I think there is a lot to be positive about, and I would love to kick off the discussion with that question. What do we love about the season we're in?
2: Hey, Lou. Kevin Lutz, I'll jump in here. I would say on a positive note, summertime, to me, everything starts to come back to life again. Lots of people have rough winters, snow, ice, you name it. No fun. But restaurants and music venues are coming back in full swing. People take vacations, celebrate graduations, a bunch of weddings people making home improvements, all of this stuff can lead to a lot of economic growth. And I would say a key component to that is obviously the banks and credit unions that help facilitate that growth. It all takes money, right? So as far as the banks and credit unions who will benefit most from that, I would say the ones that are working hard to take the friction out of doing business with them. There's always talk about digital this, digital that, but it's really... The key component for growth going forward and being able to take friction out of things.
3: Hey, Lou, this is Shelly Nishbach. I'm going to double down on that from a slightly different perspective because, yeah, times are tough right now. We, we all know that. And I think during times like this, lenders have to start thinking more broadly and creatively because they still want to grow, and they still have to take care of their customers. And so when we're in tough economic climates that increase the nature of things being challenging, I like when I see my clients, my lenders, finding different ways to create opportunities to connect with their customers. Shift your thinking, move beyond the fact that the economic climate's a challenge, and turn it into an opportunity. Get to know your clients better, have a clear view of their financial profile. That's the first step in sustaining financial success. That's also a step in building loyal clients. Be there for them when times are tough and you're going to build a lifelong client. Borrowers are relying more on credit as they navigate challenging times. And so the question comes, how do lenders best serve those borrowers while making sure that they keep everything, debt levels and whatnot in check? So giving great access, making the right decisions, making the right credit products at the right terms available while still managing risk is incredibly important. Increase the depth of knowledge that you have about your customers. This helps lenders make overall better decisions and help their borrowers ensure that the debt that they're taking on is within their capacity, which means more sustainable success over time. And so tough times require deeper, broader thought and application of how we should be taking care of our clients from a responsible perspective. And in doing so, there's lots of different and proven ways to do that, incorporating the right data sets, incorporating the right elements of analysis to make sure that you're obtaining that deep view of your client's debt-to-income, their ability to pay... And doing all of the right things so that when we finish weathering this storm, that you're building a successful, strong, viable outcome and securing success with your clients during that process.
5: Lou, this is Lachlan. I'll jump in on that and sort of dovetail off what Shelly said there. A couple of things. First off, and this ties to what Kevin said as well, community banks and credit unions are very strong. They're well capitalized. They're ready to lend. I think there's obviously been a lot of noise with a few of the banks that have failed, but if you look at the some five thousand banks, especially community banks and credit unions, you know, there's another five thousand probably credit unions as well. Most of those are very well positioned to lend, to take deposits. So the industry is strong. You get things that have happened with some of these failures, and I think that kind of clouds the strength of the industry. I came previously from you know, Community Bank Trade Association. And again, those banks are ready to lend and they're strong. In terms of what Shelley says, and it's kind of what we're doing as well, and I would second that, in tough economic times, as things look a little worse, there still is plenty of opportunity to lend to help out small businesses. And one of the things in a way in which we've tried to accomplish that, it really comes down to data. How do you look at more data that gets you a better way of doing everything you can, both from your traditional borrowers, but also those low to moderate income borrowers. How can you look at other data elements that can get you comfortable on a credit perspective? We've worked with a partner company to sort of create this innovative credit model that's looking at you know beyond just the traditional FICO and SBSS scores. How do you look at all these other things? How do you look at things over time? And how do you capture data over time to be able to sort of predict from an expected loss? So there's A great opportunity here in downtimes and good times for banks to continue to lend, continue to lend in a meaningful way and support borrowers and at the end of the day, support communities. So I think it's really, as Shelley talked about, how do we look at more data? How do we get more information so that we
4: can, even in these times, make great lending decisions and continue to support communities? This is again, Kevin with Praxen, we're seeing lenders in many cases, instead of specializing by the branch location, start specializing on the identities of their customers and also on the products that they offer. And I think that works particularly well with lending products where underwriting rules vary, compliance requirements vary. And so that's something we're really exciting and excited about is to see more banks get innovative, either under the heading of their primary brand or by launching digital brands that can bring those new value propositions to market more easily. Hey, this is Ted from
6: Mambu. I live in the Northeast where, of course, May is truly the spring, meaning that everything and everyone truly perks up and with a renewed energy and enthusiasm, that of course translates to the industry as well, the folks I'm working with. And for me, this is also, you know, when the conference season really kicks off, starting with FinTech Nexus, formerly Lendit where I was just today, and then, of course, kind of going through a bunch of other events, eventually wrapping up with Money 2020 in October. So uh, enjoy that part of this season, you know, getting back out there. It's also, I think, a time of year for being on the commercial team where we approach mid-year. We get a sense of how things are going relative to our full year goals. And we start creating concrete plans for the second half of the year so we can reach those goals. So I really enjoy that process. And that's how I think about this time of the season in a positive way.
1: Hey Lou, it's Abrar from Arteria AI. I think what's really exciting about this time of year and this season for me, both within our organization, as well as the the institutions that we work with on a day-to-day basis is it's really a time that's particularly focused on execution and executing on various initiatives and projects. And that's exciting to me because it's one of the rare times of the year where you're not distracted by strategic discussions or budgetary preparation. You're in the middle of the year. And really focused on going strong into whatever the milestones that are on your particular project or initiative that you're working on. And really singularly focused on execution and finishing strong into the summer. And invariably people will go away and things will slow down. But you're looking to finish strong right around this time of year in May and June. And that I find very exciting and very empowering.
7: Hey, Lou, this is Vlad Ludiger from MBank. At m we focus on banking as a service, so we used to work quite deeply in technology space. We still do, that's not been very exciting, and this season I think it's not the best area to focus on, but services have taken off quite a bit. Compliance as a service has seen a substantial uptake. Dispute resolution as a service, we handle something to the tune of a thousand disputes per month. So since February, we've started showing dramatic figures, I would say, in disputes and complaints chargebacks that we handle for our clients, community banks, and also digital brands. So I suspect the summer's going to be quite busy, I would say, in face of the adversity and the economic situation, and people, the amount of disputes that we're handling, and the amount of disputes is increasing, but the value of those disputes is going down. So it's going to be a busy summer for us, I would say, and then we're launching some digital brands for our clients in September, October, major NFL teams, other sporting teams, and also colleges and universities so we're planning that September October is going to be really busy for us so we're just gearing up and just like Ida said focusing on execution execution is key at the moment
0: absolutely execution strength of community banks the brand innovation as a service innovations really great answers all the way around team and Without getting into the bummer summer end of things, if you will, there are some things that have been a buzzkill. No matter what, let's be honest, there are going to be naysayers, there are going to be people who look for doom and gloom, or maybe it's something a little more innocuous in terms of businesses being reluctant to dive into technology that is fully ready, locked and loaded. So I would be curious to... Hear from you what kind of banking buzzkill needs to go on a long vacation?
3: Hey, Lou, it's Shelly again. When I thought of this question, really, I can't imagine anyone that would venture too far off from the reality that it doesn't matter. In great times and challenging times, fraud is present. And in challenging times, fraud tends to increase. And so when we look at studies and you know, history tells us during tough times, like the height of the recession over a decade ago, 55% of surveyed fraud examiners said that fraud had increased. And it's worth noting that up to 20% of uncollectible debt is due to fraud, which takes on many shapes. And it all starts with that loan application. And so when you have a potential borrower who inflates or misstates their income or provides forged documents or inaccurate documents or even a fake social, right? These can be intentional and they can also be simply mistakes on an application. Either way, those errors result in the outcomes that socially responsible lenders are trying to avoid and they want to help borrowers get the credit that fits them, that also helps them manage their risk. And so we talked earlier about different ways of addressing that and data is one of those ways. At the work number, we have over 604 million employment records from over 2.6 million employers, which help our lenders make sure that they are assessing the right information in order to make those right decisions and do what they can from a validation perspective to help that buzzkill of fraud be mitigated.
6: Hello, this is Ted from Mambu. The buzzkill I really want to go away is just general customer fear and especially depositor fear. I think that the bank sector in the U.S. overall is fundamentally very strong, I think thanks in no small part to the capital regulations and stress testing that were put in place, You know, what happened at Silicon Valley Bank was actually pretty unique as a one-off rather than a lead indicator of broader mismanagement across the sector, right? And I have no idea how, quite frankly, regulators allowed that bank's balance sheet to quadruple in two short years, making it the 16th largest bank in the U.S. before it failed. But I seriously doubt that'll be allowed to happen again anytime soon. And of course, unfortunately, First Republic got caught in the crosshairs there. Deposit base suffered and it unwound unusual amount of large deposits above FDIC insurance levels. But I really hope we get back to normalcy and recognition that the rest of the sector is really quite strong. This is Lachlan with Lenders Cooperative. I'll jump in again on that. And that was kind of what I wanted
5: to talk about. I've worked in the community banking space for 25 years. And, you know, the knee-jerk reaction to any sort of issue in the market is also how do we heap on more regulation? I think the issue here, as Ted said, we have plenty of regulation. We just need to make sure that we're sort of following that and managing banks and have the oversight in the way in which we do. Banks don't need more regulation. Again, I come back to community banks and how they're managing that and again, being one of the most regulated industries in the world they're doing things right. They're lending to folks. They're following the policies, procedures. They've got liquidity. They're managing liquidity. They're managing their contingency liquidity. So adding new regulation doesn't solve the issue. Let's make sure that we're using the regulation that we have in place. What we don't want to do in a time as we head into sort of economically challenging times is to stifle banks from lending, from helping to support and put capital back into communities. So that would be my buzzkill, Lou, is, you know, let's not, you know, let the political minds in D.C., you know, figure out how to heap on more regulation when it's not needed
2: in the industry. This is Kevin from True Stage. And I would say, as far as what I would pick is bad customer experiences. I mean, there's been a lot of improvement, but there's still a long way to go. And if you can get rid of bad customer experiences, customers and members for banks and credit unions are really the key to the future for them. And everybody talks about the Amazon experience, you know, and it really is the standard in the industry. I mean, my Amazon experience is going to my wife, she has the Prime account, I tell her what I want, and then it shows up the next day. So make it quick, make it simple, make it painless. And there's plenty of really good solutions out there, many of which the people on this podcast represent. And there are also plenty of fintechs that want to compete with banks and credit unions, but the ones that we work with They want to partner with the banks and credit unions because they do have the solutions. They're very good at the technology. They can streamline things, take out the pain, and still help manage the risk that's involved with lending in this climate. So I would say get rid of a bad customer experience, and you're going to have some customers for life.
4: This is Kevin with Praxin. That was what was on my mind for BuzzKills was that what we see is a widening gap between local community financial institutions that can offer a strong digital customer experience and that are investing in some kind of niche strategy to make themselves more relevant and make the experience more meaningful for their customers. And those that are really still anchored in a branch centric strategy and are having to really rely on just whatever their core provider gives them out of the box. And I think what's sad to us about that is we see that driving further consolidation where those that can't make that leap, can't specialize and can't offer that great experience from a digital perspective, Seeing their charters either be gobbled up by larger FIs or put in the back as an infrastructure provider, for example, to a bunch of fintechs.
1: Hey, Lou, it's Abraar from Arturia AI, tying to what the Kevins have just said, biggest buzzkill for me is anything that's happening at a financial institution that's still in an analog, non-digital process or sub process. Everything that institutions are doing today needs to be tied to some sort of a digital strategy and have a digital component to it. Anything that's happening analog is not sustainable. It creates friction, creates poor customer experiences, and it's not how banks are going to grow and continue to evolve and serve their customers and their members in an effective way going forward. So the more that we can reconceptualize traditional processes and even sub-processes that are done in an analog fashion, the more that we'll be able to really take off as an industry.
7: Hey Lou, this is Vlad from MBank. I have a couple of buzzkills. One is high interest rates. They seem to drive weighted average cost of capital for some of the Lending programs we support, which is to make it more difficult in the higher loss ratios at the moment. So that's number one. And number two, I would say general availability of capital for young fintechs, because we work with a lot of fintechs and we found that a lot of them lately have struggled to fundraise. So some of the projects we see being delayed or put on hold or even cancelled. So I hope those go away soon. Really want to go back to the 2022 reality.
0: Absolutely. The high interest rates, the analog procedures, the persistence of fraud. And I would go a step further to say the failure of regulators with Silicon Valley Bank. A lot of things that are killing the buzz. But on the really hopeful side of things, we've got three months of summer, which if you're in Chicago, that is three months of construction season. (laughs) I'm wondering if we were to gather together again, let's say Labor Day weekend, the end of summer, what do you hope the next three months will bring? What would you love to be able to say in September, wow, this happened?
6: Hello, Ted from Mambu again. Three things come to mind in hopes for Labor Day. Number one, just a gradual return of confidence to the banking sector overall, especially among depositors. The second thing is, you know, taking a focus on sponsor banks. I just hope that they work through that focus and in doing so, provide clarity on how sponsor banks can continue to partner with fintechs in a safe, responsible way, and that both can really continue to flourish. And then finally, as Vlad mentioned, there's obviously, you know, a lot of fintechs going through some pain right now. I'd say that there's more than a few, I'd call them zombie fintechs are burning through their remaining cash and really don't have a path to more capital raises or even profitability. And that's painful. And I have a lot of empathy, absolutely, for those entrepreneurs who've worked very hard to build what they build. And I hope by the time we get to Labor Day, many of them can find, if needed, good acquirers that will value and make good use of what they've created.
3: Hey, Lou, it's Shelly Equifax. When I think about this, and I think. Any type of reflective question. I go back to what our purpose is, and our purpose is to help people live their financial best. And so I hope that the next three months will, of course, bring a less volatile industry environment. But regardless, as we weather this, I'd like to see that our lenders continue acting in that socially responsible manner, which, as I said earlier, I think really comes down to building good solid partnerships with their borrowers and making sure that they're there for them during, you know, the rough patches. These things don't necessarily sneak up on people, but that doesn't mean everybody's prepared either, right? And so I think I saw in a recent CFPB report 37% of consumers reported that they couldn't cover their expenses for more than a month if they lost their primary income source. And so making sure that once the decision is made and it's made with all of the right data, but also then monitoring what's happening. Is risk increasing or decreasing? Are those lenders keeping their ear to the ground? Are they staying connected with what's happening in their consumers' lives as they manage the risk inside those portfolios so that they are positioned as a not waiting for lagging indicators, but maybe using information as a leading indicator to help better identify consumers who might need support. And so that type of proactive partnership that we try to help our lenders deliver to their consumers is what I would like to see and hope occurs if we do continue down this volatile environment.
2: Hey, Lou. Kevin Lutz here. I would say, generally speaking, I'd like to be talking about the good times I had with the family over the past three months. But what I really hope is all the economic tension within the economy starts to subside over the next three months. The debt ceiling problems are resolved. The negative talk about impending recessions ease, and people start to relax and realize that the banking and credit union sectors really are overall strong and safe.
7: Hello, this is Vlad M Bank. I certainly echo what just been said, I would just add this, we used to have a lot of crypto related projects, but all of them have died, obviously, in the wake of FTX collapse. We just hope that there's some clarity as to where crypto is going. And to be honest, whoever I speak to, everybody says, well, maybe some clarity will come about September, October timeframe. So really looking forward to some clarity around crypto and clearly want to have a good summer and a positive season ahead. Hey,
5: Lou, it's Lachlan Clearate Lenders Cooperative just wanted to jump back in looking sort of three months forward and really kind of more than that but I hope that what's going on in the banking industry with some of these bank failures on top of an uncertain economy, I hope we don't see a pullback from banks and credit unions sort of engaging with partnership model, if you will with Fintechs regardless of the Financial Times what have you that needs to continue to evolve. I think that partnership has really evolved over the last five years. You know, it started probably five or so years ago where banks were sort of scared of fintechs and fintechs were scared of banks and they didn't know how to work together. And we've seen really nice growth in the partnership model, which has allowed community banks and credit unions to provide this sort of high tech and high touch relationship model with their customers to compete with some of the largest banks. So I hope this economic environment and things does not stifle that. In some ways, I'd love to see banks and credit unions sort of double down on the need to work with fintech partners figure out you know what they're good at what their niche is what they can do well and to continue to foster and grow those relationships and i just hope that this doesn't sort of slow that down
4: this is kevin again with praxem i could not agree more with everything that's been said especially what you said ted but also to build on what you said lachlan we still see pretty strong momentum in banks investing in technology to become sponsor banks and we're hopeful that that continues through the summer because we do see that as a key component of that kind of innovation that you're referring to, Auckland, and it's really through partnerships with organizations like MBank, I represent here by Vladimir, that we're hopeful the banks continue to future-proof themselves, continue to build infrastructure, potentially even implement side cores like Mambu, for example, to enable that innovation and continue to drive the industry forward this is lachlan at lenders again i just want to jump into one comment to that kevin and
5: to that partnership model between banks and fintechs we sort of doubled down or taken that one step further at lenders cooperative much like the name sounds it's a cooperative we will shortly have about 16 or 18 banks that will own part of the cooperative so not only are we partnering with them and they're using our technology but we're going to dilute our ownership and let them become in as owners of the cooperative so i think that that much like what credit unions have done in CUSOs, I think that's a model that you know banks can sort of evolve over time as well. And I think it's worked very well in that credit union space. And I'm not saying over the next three months we'll see more of these, but I think that's a growing trend. And I think it gives banks a front row seat to the latest and greatest and also be able to sort of help figure out and develop what that roadmap, what are their needs, what are their gaps? So, I mean, that's one of the things that we're doing to really kind of help develop and foster that fintech bank
1: collaboration and partnership. Hey Lou, Abraar from Arturia AI here, one of the things I'm excited to see in three months is where we are with technology and in particular with artificial intelligence and AI. There's been a lot of advancement, basically on a weekly if not daily basis over the last couple of months, particularly as you look at the rise of chat and generative AI models. What really hasn't happened with all of this movement is Slow down into applying these into actual use cases and seeing banks and credit unions and financial institutions start to get the benefit of these types of advancements in a value driving and value generating way. And I think the summer will probably provide some runway for fintechs and financial institutions themselves to start to harness the power of these technologies and these groups of technologies and start to understand what those use cases are and begin to apply them. And hopefully we'll see tangible value that's being driven out of all of this exciting advancement that's happened around artificial intelligence over the last couple of months and see it actually manifest in value by the end of the summer.
0: Outstanding. I have got to tell you, we've done many of these over the years. This has got to be one of the best. I just love, especially at the end, it's not positivity coated with sugar. It's realistic stuff. The return of confidence, borrower partnerships, fintech partnerships, AI, future proofing. Having good family times, I mean, that's a really important one as well. The clarity in crypto. And then there was a mention of zombie fintechs. I have to tell you, while I'm very hopeful on that end, I don't know so much about zombie podcast hosts. I've got a little bit of work to do there. But (laughs) anyway, what a great time on the podcast. I wish all of you an amazing, happy, fruitful profitable wonderful summer however you're going to spend it thanks for being on Bankadelic thanks. and so there it is shirts and ties off bathing suits on I want to thank our fantastic Guests Today, Lockley Cleary of Lenders Cooperative, Ted Westhell of Mambu, Shelly Nishbach of Equifax Workforce Solutions, Vlad Lunagov of Bank, Abrar Hook of Arteria AI, Kevin Lutz of True Stage Solutions, and Kevin Hurwitz of Praxent. And so I got to figure out what I'm going to do, because in Chicago, as I mentioned earlier, summer is actually really construction season slash what to do with the nine days that the weather is actually warm. And to be honest, I could probably use some fashion advice because I'm not sure that my bathing suit looks not all that much different from dad shorts. A very special thanks to our sponsors, the William Mills Agency, Lemonade LXP, Banker Hire, and Talking Biz News, a division of Vested LLC. The czarina of the Bankadelic special episode podcast is the one and only Catherine Laws. We love you, Catherine! It's time for me to go. For Bankadelic, I'm Lou Carloso, and you are headed into summer.
1: psychedelic is a production of nmd plus london chicago and austin texas
0: i got a 2,900 and they call it a woody